This is an audio version of Preventing Catastrophic Pandemics by Arden Kaler and Benjamin Hilton. Published April 2020 and last updated July 2022. Some of the deadliest events in history have been pandemics. Due to developments in technology, as well as our growing interconnectedness, we face the possibility of future biological disasters that are even worse. Global Catastrophic Biological Risks, GCBRs, are risks of severe pandemics that are serious enough to threaten the future of humanity. For reasons we discussed below, we think the chances of such a biological catastrophe are uncomfortably high. There are also a number of practical options for reducing these risks. So, we think working to reduce GCBRs is a promising way to safeguard the future of humanity right now. Section Heading Summary Pandemics, alongside other global catastrophic biological risks like bioterrorism or biological weapons, pose a substantial existential threat to humanity. As biotech progress continues, it looks increasingly plausible that it will become easier to manufacture extremely dangerous pathogens, whether deliberately or accidentally, potentially far worse than the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19. We can prepare for the next pandemic and hopefully head it off before it happens. We're excited about a number of approaches to reduce these risks. For example, we could find technological solutions that make it easier to prevent and treat infections and policy solutions that ensure countries and institutions respond better to pandemics. While there's lots of work going on in this area, very little of this work is focused on the worst-case risks. And as a result... We think work to prevent potentially existential pandemics is highly neglected. Heading. Our overall view. We think this is among the most pressing problems in the world, based on its scale, neglectedness and solvability. In terms of scale, pandemics, especially engineered pandemics, pose a significant risk to the existence of humanity. We think there is a greater than 1 in 10,000 chance of a biological existential catastrophe within the next 100 years. And there's a footnote here. It reads, We've seen a variety of estimates regarding the chances of an existential biological catastrophe. Ord estimates a 3% chance by 2120. Sandberg and Bostrom estimate a 2% chance by 2100. Hamlin and Armstrong estimate a 0.0002% chance by 2115. Fodor estimates a 0.0002% chance by 2120. And Millet and Snyder Beatty estimate a 0.00019% chance from biowarfare or bioterrorism per year. So assuming this is constant, this is equivalent to 0.02% by 2120. There are links to all of these estimates in the article. We've looked at the reasoning behind these estimates and are uncertain about which ones we should most believe. Overall, we think the risk is around 0.1%, and very likely to be greater than 0.01%. But we haven't thought about this in detail. That's the end of the footnote. Back to the main text. We return to the section, Our Overall View, with... In terms of neglectedness, billions of dollars a year are spent on preventing pandemics... Little of this is specifically targeted at preventing biological risks that could be existential. And we think that if you care about future generations, it's particularly important to try to reduce existential risks. 
As a result, our quality-adjusted estimate suggests that current spending is around $1 billion per year. For comparison with other significant risks, we estimate that hundreds of billions per year are spent on climate change, while tens of millions are spent on reducing risks from AI. In terms of solvability, there are promising existing approaches to improving biosecurity, including both developing technology that could reduce these risks, for example, better biosurveillance, and working on strategy and policy to develop plans to prevent and mitigate biological catastrophes. Note, this page briefly explains the case for working on preventing catastrophic pandemics and links to our many resources on the topic. If you want to see a fuller analysis of the cases for and against working on the issue, see our full report on global catastrophic biological risks. That's a link to another article on the 80,000 Hours website. This full report was published in March 2020 and largely written prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. But we think that its conclusions still stand today. Audio note, I'll be referring to that report as the full GCBR report for the rest of this narration. Section heading. Why focus your career on preventing severe pandemics? Heading. Advances in biotechnology may pose catastrophic risks. COVID-19 has highlighted our vulnerability to worldwide pandemics and revealed weaknesses in our ability to respond in a coordinated and sophisticated way. And historical events like the Black Death and the 1918 flu show that pandemics can be some of the most damaging disasters for humanity. It is sobering to imagine the potential impact of a pandemic pathogen that is much more contagious than any we've seen so far, more deadly, or both. Unfortunately, the emergence of such a pathogen is not out of the question, particularly in light of recent advances in biotechnology, which have allowed researchers to design and create biological agents much more easily and precisely than was possible before. If the field continues to advance along this trend, over the coming decades it may become possible for someone to create a pathogen that has been engineered to be substantially more contagious than natural pathogens, more deadly, and or more difficult to address with standard countermeasures. Now we have a footnote. It reads, Gene sequencing, editing, and synthesis are all now possible and are becoming increasingly systematized, making it feasible in principle to engineer and produce biological agents in a way not too dissimilar to how we design and produce computers or other products. This may allow people to design and create pathogens that combine properties of natural pathogens or ones with wholly new features. Scientists are also investigating what makes pathogens more or less deadly and contagious. This improved understanding may help us better prevent and mitigate outbreaks, but it also means that the information required to design more dangerous pathogens is increasingly available. All the technologies involved here have important medical uses, in addition to hazards. For example, gene sequencing technology may also be essential to help us quickly diagnose new diseases. Properly handling these advances may therefore involve a delicate balancing act. Returning to the main text, at the same time, it may become easier for states or malicious individuals to access these pathogens and potentially use them as weapons, because the relevant technologies are also becoming more widely available and easier to use. And a footnote here, Innovations in the last decades have made it easier to design and manufacture genetic material. Commercial synthesis is increasingly available and economical. Increasingly large libraries of genetic sequences are available, 
and sequencing costs are decreasing. Some steps have been taken to manage the risks from this availability, such as screening commercial synthesis orders, though more will need to be done as the industry continues to advance. That's the end of that footnote. Back to the main text. Dangerous pathogens engineered for research purposes could also be released accidentally through a failure of lab safety. One purpose is gain-of-function research, in quotes, in which scientists try to increase the contagiousness or virulence of a pathogen in order to better understand its characteristics, including whether particular mutations should be treated as a warning sign if they occur in nature. The result is typically a slightly more dangerous pathogen that's still well within the bounds of what virologists work with on a day-to-day basis. However, when the research is performed on potential pandemic pathogens, or particularly virulent ones, the potential to create something unnaturally dangerous becomes a concern. The most publicly prominent example of -of gain-of-function research was a 2011 experiment to increase the transmissibility of avian flu, H5N1 in mammals. The experiment was controversial and triggered a review by the National Science Advisory Board for Biosecurity. Either scenario, malicious or accidental, could result in a catastrophic, engineered pandemic, in quotes. Although making a pathogen as dangerous as possible will not generally be in the interest of states or other actors, in part because it would likely threaten their own forces, a purposefully engineered pandemic pathogen does have the potential to be significantly more deadly and spreadable. Possibilities of accidents, recklessness and unusual malice suggest we can't rule out the prospect of a pandemic pathogen being released that could kill a large percentage of the population. How likely we are to face such a pathogen is a matter of debate. But over the next century, the likelihood doesn't seem negligible. This has a footnote. It reads, In a 2008 survey by Sandberg and Bostrom, The median expert estimated that there was a 10% chance of 1 billion people dying in an engineered pandemic before 2100, and a 2% chance of an engineered pandemic causing extinction. The authors stress that for various reasons these estimates must be taken with a grain of salt. Nevertheless, arguments like the ones presented in this article suggest these numbers are relatively plausible. That's the end of that footnote. The main text goes on. Could an engineered pandemic pose an existential threat to humanity? Again, there is reasonable debate here. In the past, societies have recovered from pandemics as severe as the Black Death, which killed around one-third to one-half of Europeans. But from what we've seen, the future GCBRs look like some of the larger contributors to existential risk this century. And here a short footnote reads, In the precipice... Toby Ord estimated the chance of human extinction in the next 100 years from a biological agent to be around 1 in 30. And back to the main text. Reducing the risk of biological catastrophes by reducing the chances of potential outbreaks or preparing to mitigate their worst effects therefore seems very important. Whether this is the area you should focus on in your career depends, among other things, on your fit for the area as well as how it compares to other areas you could focus on instead. For example, working to prevent an AI-related catastrophe seems orders of magnitude more neglected than work on GCBRs, and seems at least as important for safeguarding the future of humanity. This suggests that if your circumstances and fit are equally good for both areas, 
working to ensure safe and beneficial AI is likely to be the better choice between the two. Of course, there are many other potential focus areas that might be even better for you, which you can read about on our Problem Profiles page, found at 80,000hours.org slash problem hyphen profiles. Heading. There are clear actions we can take to reduce these risks. For example, we can work with government, academia and industry to improve the governance of -of gain-of-function research involving potential pandemic pathogens, commercial DNA synthesis, and other research and industries that may enable the creation of, or expand access to, particularly dangerous engineered pathogens. At times, this may involve careful regulation. We can also strengthen international commitments to not develop or deploy biological weapons. For example, the only existing agreement, the Biological Weapons Convention, lacks resources and has no verification or enforcement power. You can learn more about weaknesses of the Biological Weapons Convention in our full report on GCBRs. Finally, we can develop broad-spectrum testing, therapeutics, and other technologies and platforms that could be used to quickly test, vaccinate, and treat billions of people in the case of a large-scale novel outbreak. Learn more about these ideas and others on our podcast episode with Dr. Cassidy Nelson, along with other resources listed at the end of this article. Audio note, you can also find these links in the podcast description. Heading. Most existing work is not aimed at reducing risks of the worst outcomes. The broader field of biosecurity and pandemic preparedness has made major contributions to GCBR reduction. Many of the best ways to prepare for more probable but less severe outbreaks will also reduce GCBRs. So many people who are not concerned with GCBRs in particular still do work that is useful for reducing them. For this reason, we think advancing parts of the broader field, especially in areas like vaccine research or broad-spectrum treatments, can be very valuable, even from the perspective of just trying to reduce the chances or severity of the worst potential outbreaks. There may be even more valuable opportunities. It seems to be relatively uncommon for people in the broader field of biosecurity and pandemic preparedness to aim their work specifically at reducing GCBRs. Projects that disproportionately reduce GCBRs also seem to receive a relatively small proportion of health security funding. Here a footnote reads, Greg Lewis estimates in our full GCBR report that a quality-adjusted around $1 billion is spent annually on GCBR reduction. Most of this comes from work that is not explicitly targeted at GCBRs, but is rather disproportionately useful for reducing them. The US budget for health security in general is around $14 billion. Worldwide, the budget is probably something like double or triple that. So spending that's particularly helpful for GCBR reduction is probably just a few percent of the total. The spending for explicit GCBR reduction would be much less. Why might people focus less on work targeted toward GCBRs? even though they are the risks of the worst catastrophes. One answer is that people with the power to allocate resources are not sufficiently aware of GCBRs, or think that they are extremely low. Another answer is short-term thinking. Since the technologies most worrying for GCBRs haven't yet been fully developed, it's very unlikely we'll see a biological catastrophe in the next few years. People subject to political and other pressures to prioritise the near future may therefore be less inclined to focus on them. 
Finally, GCBRs are a type of public good problem, in quotes. So we generally have reason to expect them to be somewhat neglected. You can learn more about all these reasons in our full GCBR report. That's the end of that footnote, and we return to the section most existing work is not aimed at reducing risks of the worst outcomes. In our view, the costs of biological disasters grow non-linearly with severity because of the increasing potential for the event to contribute to existential risk. This suggests that projects that reduce GCBRs in particular should receive more funding and attention than they currently seem to. Moreover, insofar as more targeted interventions would be useful, and we guess they would be, the fact that there is comparatively little work targeted toward reducing GCBRs right now suggests that the area is somewhat neglected. And this has a footnote. How useful more targeted work is for reducing GCBRs versus growing the broader field of biosecurity and pandemic preparedness is a matter of debate. On our podcast, Mark Lipsitch argued that the best way to address GCBRs may be to simply build up the broader field because of the substantial overlap between biological threats of all sizes and the tools needed to combat them. In our full report on reducing GCBRs, Greg Lewis suggested that this strategy, which he calls buying the index of conventional biosecurity, would probably be less effective than trying to complement the existing portfolio with work that's particularly important for reducing GCBRs. We suspect Greg's view is closer to the truth, though it's not obvious. And Greg also expresses uncertainty on the matter. We have a general heuristic. All else equal, a more targeted intervention, one whose primary goal is to make progress on a smaller number of issues, is likely to have a bigger effect on those issues than a less targeted intervention that has more goals. In pursuing the less targeted intervention, you can face more trade-offs between the different goals, which can reduce your impact on each one considered separately. Furthermore, with regard to this particular case, the people who have shaped the broader field of biosecurity and pandemic preparedness seem to have generally been optimising for reducing the risks of smaller, more likely pandemic outbreaks. It would be surprising if in doing so they also optimised the field for reducing GCBRs, such that just building the field in general was the best thing someone could do to reduce GCBRs. That said, because there's already a lot of support for the kinds of interventions favoured by the broader field, including interventions that do reduce GCBRs, it could in some cases be higher impact to expand the field or in some other way make it more effective at achieving its goals. For example, if you could manage to expand the entire field by 1% in terms of funding and labour, that might easily be better than a more targeted project aimed at reducing GCBRs. That's the end of that footnote, and we return again to the section Most existing work is not aimed at reducing risks of the worst outcomes. This neglectedness means that if you enter the field of biosecurity and pandemic preparedness, aiming to reduce GCBRs, there may be particularly good opportunities to do so that others have not already pursued. If you do enter the field aiming to reduce GCBRs, it might be easier to work on broader efforts that have more mainstream support first, and then transition to more targeted projects later. If you're already working in biosecurity and pandemic preparedness, or a related field, this might be a good time to advocate for a greater focus on measures that are likely to help us with whatever outbreak surprises us next. There may be a greater openness to ideas in this area now as people reflect on how underprepared we were for COVID-19. Section heading. What kinds of work are most needed? 
biosecurity and pandemic preparedness are multidisciplinary fields. To address these threats effectively, we need at least. Here's a list. Technical and biological researchers to investigate and develop tools for controlling outbreaks, such as broad-spectrum testing and antivirals. We've written up some examples of research questions you might want to check out, and there's a link in the post there for you to do so. We need strategic researchers and forecasters to develop plans, such as for how to develop or scale up vaccines quickly. And we need people in government to pass and implement policies aimed at reducing biological threats. That's the end of that list. It's also important to remember that this area involves information hazards, true information that could cause harm if shared, making it essential for people who can act with discretion to fill these roles. This also means that information security experts may be especially helpful in this area. See our career review on information security, and there's a link in the post there for you to check that out. Section heading. What jobs are available? There are many organisations and agencies that work on reducing biological threats. Here are some that work specifically on GCBRs. The Centre for Health Security, CHS, received a $16 million grant from Open Philanthropy, who sees CHS as, quote, the preeminent US think tank doing policy research and development in the biosecurity and pandemic preparedness space, end quote. The Future of Humanity Institute, FHI, at Oxford University, conducts multidisciplinary research on how to ensure a positive long-run future. With the recent hire of Piers Millet, FHI is looking to expand its research and policy functions to reduce catastrophic risks from biotechnology. The Centre for International Security and Cooperation has a biosecurity program headed by Megan Palmer and was funded by Open Philanthropy. The Nuclear Threat Initiative is a US nonpartisan think tank that works to prevent catastrophic attacks and accidents with nuclear, biological, radiological, chemical, and cyber weapons of mass destruction and disruption. Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Activity, or IARPA, is a government agency that funds research relevant to the U.S. intelligence community. It has sponsored research on how to improve biosecurity and pandemic preparedness. The Cambridge Centre for the Study of Existential Risk at Cambridge University houses academics studying both technical and strategic questions related to biosecurity. Bipartisan Commission on Biodefense is a group that analyzes the United States' defense capabilities against biological threats and recommends and lobbies for improvements. Global Catastrophic Risk Institute is an independent research institute that investigates how to minimize the risks of large-scale catastrophes. We list particular jobs related to reducing biological threats at these organizations and others on our job board. See 80,000hours.org jobs where you can also find our list of recommended organisations in bio-risk reduction. Section heading. Want to work on reducing risks of the worst biological disasters? We want to help. We've helped thousands of people formulate plans, find resources, and put them in touch with mentors. If you want to work in this area, apply for our free one-on-one advising service at 80,000hours.org speak. Want to support work in this area by donating? You can also help by donating to well-run organisations that are making important progress on this issue. Which organisations should you give to? We haven't investigated this question ourselves, but we asked a couple of advisors working on biosecurity and pandemic preparedness for their suggestions. Two organisations seem to stand out as particularly good giving opportunities. The Johns Hopkins Centre for Health Security, CHS, 
and the Nuclear Threat Initiative, NTI. Open Philanthropy, a foundation that broadly shares our values, has made grants to both of these organisations based on assessments of the quality of their work, staff and structure, their global influence and how they are likely to use the grant. However, both organisations might still have room for more funding. You can help fill any gaps by topping up, in quotes, Open Philanthropy's grants with your own donations. Disclosure, Open Philanthropy is our single largest funder. To learn more, read Open Philanthropy's assessment of these organisations and their specific justifications for making NDI a grant of $6 million and CHS a grant of $16 million, both in 2017. And both of those are links that you can follow for more information. And that's the end of the main text of this article. There's an extensive list of recommended podcasts, articles, and books in the Learn More section at the end of this article online. This was an audio version of Preventing Catastrophic Pandemics by Arden Kaler and Benjamin Hilton. It was published on April 2020 and last updated July 2022, narrated by Perrin Walker and produced by Type 3 Audio.